Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Last week, we began a new series called Trust. And, and I have to say that God's timing is just simply amazing to me. Uh, what you have to realize about this series is that we, we sat in the office and we tried to come up with a catchy name because we're good at that sometimes. We can come up with a good name for a series sometimes, you know, something that looks good with a hashtag, you know, we, we, we want to we do that. It, it makes great for quotes that you put up on Twitter or Facebook or something or, or you know, it's just, it's just good to be a little catchy sometimes and creative. And, and we sat in the office and we just couldn't come up with anything. I mean, it just wasn't happening. Everything we threw out there just sounded, you know, lame. And so we just didn't want to do it. So we just decided, let's just simply call it trust. You know, just keep it simple and call it trust. And that's where God is absolutely amazing because I'm so glad that we called it trust because it seems that for many of you in the room, that's your word for the year. Or or that's kind of the theme going into this year is that you, you want to learn to trust more. And God's doing that for you. God is is giving you the opportunity to grow in your trust with with others, but more importantly, with Him. Jeremiah 17 and 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. So we're blessed when we trust in the Lord. And that's why we're starting this year off that way. We want to learn to trust in the Lord so that we can be blessed throughout this year. Amen? Amen? Last week we talked about surface trust. And surface trust is flaky, it's friable, and it provides no protection to what is underneath. And so we don't want surface trust in our lives. And there's too many Christians that believe in a God that they simply don't trust. We believe in Him. We've asked Him to save our our souls, but yet we don't trust Him when it comes to life circumstances. Outside we look, we act, and we talk like a believer, but inside we're full of doubt and we're full of fear and and we just don't believe. Last week we looked at Numbers chapters 13 and 14 where Israel just wouldn't trust God at His word. He had promised them the land. He told them that you're going to a land flowing with milk and honey and He he told them about this land, but they allowed the, the intimidating circumstances in that land to keep them from reaching their promise. The reward was great, but the, ri- the risk seemed much greater. And, and sometimes that's exactly how God wants it because the only way that you can overcome that is through faith in Him, through trust in Him. Proverbs 3 and 5 tells us this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So you've got to learn to trust Him and not lean on what you think is, is the right thing to, that needs to happen. Faith is, is not leaning on what you know. It's... it's Trusting God even when it doesn't make sense. It was October 2002. I was a youth pastor in Tampa. And I had rented Camp McConnell in Micanopy for our annual fall retreat. Anyone ever been to Camp McConnell in Micanopy? There's two of us in the room, praise the Lord. Three, there's one. We rented Camp McConnell for, for our annual fall retreat with our students. And, and I had put a lot of work into it. You have to remember that the students I had in Tampa, they, they were city kids. Not a lot of them uh, lived out in, in the rural areas. And so um, 
I put a lot of work into it. I intentionally wanted our group to learn to work together as a team to build some trust. And, and I realized that some of our kids, they had trust issues. Many of them have been disappointed in life. People had let them down. People had, had caused them uh, to not, be tr not, not to trust others. And so in an effort to rebuild trust in their lives, I planned some team building on a high ropes course. Has anyone ever been on a high ropes course? That was a mistake. I did not realize that I was scared of heights. Now I'm very aware that I'm scared of heights. So I split everyone up into groups of about six people with at least one adult per group. And we had this, this whole day on the ropes course. And it was a good ropes course. I mean, if you like heights, it's a good ropes course. And then the qualified trained personnel, they guided us through a series of challenges and they were not easy. It was a hard day. I'm telling you, we worked, we worked that day. Um, but we, we were, we were, you know, climbing up rock walls. We, um, there was this thing called the two line bridge and, and there's one foot or, or one cable for your feet and one cable for your hands. And, and, you know, you're locked into another cable up above it and you just kind of slide yourself across this cable. Scary stuff. I'm telling you, there was this thing called the multi vine challenge and, and your feet are on one cable and there's a cable above you and it has little ropes hanging down and you're supposed to kind of like swing from rope to rope as you go across. And it, it was scary stuff, man. I'm telling you, it, it was rough. But the one that really got me was called the pamper pole. Now, during the first service, I said, I don't know why they call it the pamper pole because it does anything but pamper me. Somebody came through the greeting line after service and she said, I think I have the answer for you. She says, I... I um, work at a camp and we have one and we call it the poo poo pole and then it hit me you need a you need pampers while you're up on this pole because it will scare the poo poo out of you that's that's I have no other way to share it except just like that and so uh, that, that actually happened standing right over here after the first service and let, let me tell you a little bit about the pamper pole aka the poo poo pole um the pamper pole was probably 30 to 40 feet up in there. It's a telephone pole, and it has the foot pegs that go up the, whole, uh, up the side of the pole. And so you climb up, and when you get to the top, there's this like one foot by one foot platform that you have to climb up on, and you stand up on it, and then hanging out about six feet in front of you, there's a cowbell, and you have to jump off this platform. You're 30 to 40 feet up in the air. You jump off this platform, and you hit the cowbell, ring the cowbell, and you win, you know? And uh, then, then they slowly lower you to the ground, you know, through a harness that you Wearing. Now, it was hard enough for me to get up on top of that. That's, it's just not designed for you to, to, you know, climb up around this little platform to get up on top. That was hard enough by itself. That was scary. Once I got up there is when I really started realizing I'm scared of heights. I don't like this kind of stuff. I don't know how I made it through my whole life, six foot two, but I, I've, I've, I've done it. <laughs> but I get up there and I'm standing there and I'm looking down and here's the scariest part of the whole thing. Your other five team members are down on the ground and they're all holding a rope and the rope goes through a pulley system up above your head and it comes down and it's attached to your harness that you're wearing. And when you jump to ring the bell, you have to trust those people down below to hold you and slowly lower you down. Here's what scared me. I looked down and I realized I put the smallest people in the youth group on my team. And I'm a good sized youngin, you know? And I'm looking down and I'm going, this is it. This is it. I'm trying to teach these kids trust. And now I'm not about to trust them. And so I, I'm just sitting there and I knew I couldn't think about it very long because um, 
there's a rumor going around that, that one time in Arizona, I was at a place called Slide Rock and I stood on a rock for three and a half hours and never would jump off the cliff into the water and stuff. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just saying there's a rumor. There's a rumor that that, that happened. And, and I knew if I, if I was to stand there long enough on top of this pole that I was going to chicken out, that there was no way I was going to be able to do this. And so I just said, you know what? This is it. This is it. I'm going to jump out there, ring the bell. And when the bell is rung, fight's over, right? And so that's, that's where I'm heading with this. And so I jumped just thinking, this is it. I'm going to die. They're, they're, it's gonna, the rope's going to slip out of their hands. I'm going to lay flat on the ground. I jump. I rung the bell. And to my surprise, they slowly lowered me to, well, when I jumped, hit it, and the initial weight hit, I heard a collective, and then they lowered me down to the ground is what happened. That's true. That really did happen. Now, the only way to complete that challenge is to truly trust the people down below or just not care about your life. Either way. But, but the best way is to trust the people down below. I once heard the story of a father who took his young son out on the back porch, set him up on the railing, and, and then the father went down the steps down on the grass and he said, now son, Jump. He said, Dad, I don't think I can do it. He said, Son, I'm going to catch you. Just, just jump. I won't let you fall. Dad, I don't think I can do this. Son, I'm telling you, jump. And so after, you know, he, he coaxed him a little bit more, finally the little boy got up the nerve and he said, Okay, Dad, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. You're going to catch me? And he said, Son, I'll catch you. And so the little boy jumps and the dad lowers his arms, moves out of the way, lets the little boy hit the ground. And, and then the dad comes over to him and he picks him up. He brushes off the dirt, dries his tears. And he says, Son, let that be a lesson. Don't you ever trust anyone. You know, the reality is, emotionally, people have done that to you before. You were counting on them, you were trusting them, that they would support you, that they would catch you, but they let you down. And I want you to know that, that trust is part of the kingdom of God. He invites us to be a part of a family, to trust each other. And so the enemy uses little tactics here and there to break that trust. And in turn, if you, if you allow it to, it will, it will grow a fester inside of you and it will cause you not to trust your God. Because how can you trust a God that puts you in a family that you can't trust other people around you? And it's something that is a constant struggle for some people and they're constantly having to work on that. Maybe you've heard it said that the fall is not what hurts. It's the sudden stop at the end is what hurts. But, but I'll tell you this firsthand. I can tell you the most painful part of the fall is when you feel like someone that you trusted let you down. That's the hardest part of the fall. The emotional fall that happens, that's the hardest part, is when you feel like someone that you trusted, someone you loved, dropped the ball and they let you down. Trust is easy to earn, it's easier to lose, and it's hard to get back. Because nobody likes to be let down. Nobody likes to be disappointed by someone that they trust. And so with that said, I, I'm going to go ahead and just dive into this thing. And I'm, I'm going to say what some of you are thinking, or you have thought in the past, or you're just simply too scared to say. Because it involves you making a statement about your God. And I'm just going to be brave enough to say it today. What do you do when God lets you down? Because he will. L listen to me before you walk out. If you're going by your plans, your desires, 
the way you think that it needs to happen, he'll let you down. Now in his mind, his ways are much higher than ours and he has never let anyone down. But when I'm looking at the way I view life, there's many times that I don't get it, I don't understand it, and I think, God, where are you in the middle of this trial? Where are you, God? I, I need you right here in this moment. Where are you? And it feels like God lets you down. You trust him with your life, but then he lets you fall. Some of you are falling right now. Your life is spiraling. It's out of control. You're falling. Now, understand this. If it's blatant sin against God, God didn't let you down. You let yourself down. And we tend to blame God sometimes with some of that kind of stuff. But, but that's not God letting you down. That's you letting yourself down. But what about those moments when you feel like you are trusting him? You're moving in the right direction. You're moving towards God. And it feels like the rug is pulled out from underneath you and, and you begin to fall. That's the times that I'm talking about. And, and everyone in the room has experienced it. You, you may not be honest today. You may not feel brave enough. Some of you are thinking, well, pastor... We're waiting on the lightning bolt to come down from heaven and strike you right now because you're being a little too outspoken and brave today. But, but I've been there too many times in my life to where I, I, I felt like God let me fall. God let me down. And so what do you do when you trust God and he lets you fall? Matthew chapter 14. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 14. I'm going to read verses 22 through 33, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. The Bible says, immediately. Will you say that word? Say immediately. Immediately, immediately he made. Now say immediately he made. Immediately. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you say the whole verse, okay? But, but that's important. Immediately he made. The disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there all alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Three out of the four Gospels tell the account of Jesus walking on the water. It's recorded in the book of Matthew, Mark, and John. But Matthew gives us this little extra detail of the story of Peter walking on the water too. Now, now I understand why Luke didn't include any of this story because Luke was a physician. And so Luke was always concerned with telling the world or telling whoever he was writing to about the miracles of Jesus healing people because he was a physician. And to him, that spoke words to him. It spoke volumes to him. And so to him, he's going to write about that kind of stuff. But everybody else wanted to include this. But Matthew says, I want to give you one more detail about this story. Not only did Jesus walk on the water, but Peter walked on the water also. It's interesting to me that both Matthew and Mark both give us the detail that right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, 
that he immediately makes the disciples get into the boat and leave for the other side of the lake. Now, if God is omniscient, which he is, all-knowing, if God is omniscient, then the storm that they were about to encounter, it did, net, it did not catch God by surprise. Would you agree with me on that? that? That if God knows everything, then that storm that they were about to go into, that immediately he made them go into, it didn't catch God off guard. In other words, God intentionally sent them into the storm. And so here's my question. Is it possible that there are certain storms in life that we are intentionally sent into? Is it possible that there's certain hardships that we have to go through that we are intentionally sent into? And I can tell you, I don't want to believe that. I don't. That messes with my theology, and I don't want to believe that because the attributes that I like about my God does not say that he will intentionally send me into a storm. I, I like to think of it like this. I, I, I want to believe that God has this radar of, of, of my life and, and he sees every hurricane, tsunami, every typhoon that may be in my path. And, and God looks at my radar. And, and I want to believe that he will do everything within his ability to keep me from going through that storm. That's what I want to think. That's what, that, that just sounds good to me. That sounds like, like the life, the Christian life that I want to walk. That God sees my storms on, on my life's radar and helps me avoid those storms. But the fact is this. He immediately sent the disciples into the storm. You can't change the scripture. It is what it is. It says what it says. He made them get in the boat and sent them into the storm. In Mark chapter 6, you, you read of the same story. And the only detail that's really different is the fact that Peter walks on water too. But listen to, to Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48. It says, and when evening came... The boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Now, now get the picture of this. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He immediately tells the disciples to get in the boat and to go. And now he's up on the mountain praying. While the disciples are out at sea and they're struggling for their life. They're belling water. They're doing whatever it takes to keep the boat afloat. While they're out there struggling, Jesus is in his quiet place up on top of the mountain right now. Is that not troubling to anybody else? That while they're struggling and he intentionally made them get in the boat to go in that storm, he's up here. Some of the moms in the room will get this. You'll understand how this works because... You know, sometimes our, our, our schools are a war zone, you know, and, uh, you know, you send your kids into the, to the school system and you know it's going to be a rough day sometimes. You just know it's going to be, but, but you'll send them anyway. I mean, you will put them right there in the middle of that school and you'll go home and you'll relax just for a little bit of peace and quiet because it, it's like, they'll be okay. They'll survive that. They'll, they'll, I'll pick them up this afternoon, but right now I just want my peace and quiet. Jesus says, I'm sending you into the storm. But up here, he's, he's just resting and praying and in his quiet place along with the Father. I remember this, um, this one year we were at SeaWorld with another family. 
And it was a good day. We were enjoying the day. I think that was actually one of the days that, that either one or both of my kids like rode a real roller coaster. Not, not like some kids roller coaster, but a real roller coaster. And, and so you know, it was a good day. We were happy. We were enjoying life. And I remember we were, we were all standing. The families were standing around. And all of a sudden I looked at the other family and it was almost, uh, you know, just uh, at the same moment, it's like the mom and the other family realized that the dad and the other family did not have their four-year-old little girl, and the dad realized that the mom didn't have the four-year-old little girl either, and panic set in. I mean, it was, it was panic. And, and for all of us, I mean, we needed to find this child. And so we dispersed quickly. I don't even, you know, we didn't take time for a huddle and say, okay, ready, break. You know, everybody just scattered all at one moment. We're running in different directions, trying our best to, to find this little girl. And uh, I remember we're yelling across the, the, the park to each other, you know, we're saying, you know, have you found her? No, I haven't found her. You know, we're asking everybody, have you seen this little girl? You know, that kind of thing. And, and, and it, was, it was so crazy because right in the spot where she went missing, right there where we were standing, there was a railing there where people stand to watch the log flume come down. And she had worked her way through the crowd and she was standing up at the front, little four-year-old little girl standing there at the front, just waiting to get wet, you know, just watching, watching the log flume. <laughs> And it was one of those moments that was so great, you know, when they find her. But it's like bittersweet because it's, it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, thank God you're safe. I'm going to kill you. You know, it's one of those things. And, uh, now, there's not a more helpless feeling for a parent than losing sight of your young child. A lot of us have done it. Doesn't mean you're a bad parent necessarily. It's, accidents happen sometimes, but... It's tough. When one of your children is lost, it's tough. It's, it's a horrible feeling for a parent. Horrible. But God has never had that feeling. God has never experienced that feeling of misplacing a child. What I'm telling you is this. No matter what you've gone through in life, God has never not known where you are at. You have always been on his radar. He's always had his eyes on you. Proverbs 15 and 3 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Proverbs 5 and 21 says, For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. Psalm 33 and 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. And Psalm 34 and 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and, the, and his ears are attentive to their cry. God has never lost you. He has never misplaced you. He has never known, not known where you are at. You have always been on his radar. He's always known exactly where you're at. And whatever storm you may be in right now, he sees you. He knows where you are at. You may be feeling like you are drowning in the deepest, darkest sea of your life. But I want to assure you, church, God has you in his sights. And there's not a trial that you will go through that he is not aware of. And he is watching from on high. And he's got this God's eye view of your problem. And I promise you, it did not catch God off guard. He saw it coming long before you did. And so he's up on a mountain. And Mark tells us that he looks and he sees that they're in trouble. Listen to verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. 
And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And this is the phrase that really messes me up. He meant to pass by them. What? I'm in trouble. We're about to drown over here. You see I'm in trouble. And you come down off your mountain and you walk on the sea and you, you want to go by me? You want to pass right by, just like nothing's going on, God. You want to act like I'm not in the middle of a struggle and you, you meant to go by me? What is this, God? I don't get it. I don't understand. What does this mean? I'll tell you what it tells me. It tells me that God is already looking past your problems to your future. That God is already looking beyond that current storm that you're in. And and he's wanting to get to the other side of the lake, to the other side of this storm. And he's preparing the way before you. That the storm, he knows, is a very temporary part of your life. But here's the beauty of the whole thing. He's not too busy preparing your future that he doesn't hear your cry in the now. God is not too busy preparing your future that he doesn't know what you're going through right now. And if you cry out, he will hear you in that moment. Mark 6, 49 and 50 says, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, this is where that major detail is left out of Mark, but Matthew includes it. Because it's at this moment that Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Lord, if that's really you, just tell me to come. And Jesus says, says this word, come. Now, I don't know about you, but there's going to have to be a whole lot more convincing for me to get out of that boat and start walking on water to get to him. It's going to take more than a four-letter word, because if I step out of that boat, I'm probably going to say some four-letter words, okay? So, so it's going to take more than, than him saying, come. But, but here's the thing. What's the word that Jesus used to call his disciples? Come, follow me. Scripture says this, that his sheep will know his voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. That's the only word that Peter needed. Because at the moment Jesus says, Come, he recognizes that phrase. He knows that word. He said this word to me when I first met him. He said, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Come, come. And and, and Jesus says, come. And Peter says, I know that voice. Stranger's voice I won't follow, but I know that voice. And he steps out of the boat. And as Pastor Andrew said last week at the end of service, Peter does something that no other human being besides Jesus Christ has ever done. Nobody else has ever done this. It's never been recorded that anybody else has ever done this. He walks on water. He steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on water. How amazing is that? 
to have faith and trust in one simple word, come, and you get out of the boat and you begin walking on water. He is heading in the right direction, moving towards Jesus. Now, I know the story. I know how, how it works. I, I know that Peter removed his focus off of Jesus, and he began focusing on the winds and the waves. And, and when that happened, he began to sink. I know, I know that whole part of that story. I mean, who doesn't know that? If you know the Bible, you know that part, right? But, but, but here's what I know. Many times in my life, I have been moving in the right direction. I'm moving towards Jesus. There's, there's no you know, great sin in my life or anything. I love him. I really do. I love him. I want to please him, and I'm walking in the right direction when all of a sudden for a split second there's a life distraction that just happened there's a storm that just comes out of nowhere and that storm hits and when it hits what do I do I was focused on him I'm moving in the right direction but this happened and, and, and just for that brief moment I do this and I start to sink I'm not the only one. Everybody in this room, you've been there. You know. And those are the times that it will catch you the most off guard. And if you're not careful, you'll lose faith in your God because you're moving in the right direction. You're not running from God. You're not going the opposite direction. You are moving towards God and all of a sudden it hits. And for a brief moment, you take your eyes off him and you start to sing. And it's at that moment because you were doing everything right. It's at that moment that you think just for a second, where are you, God? Wait, wait, is this whole journey, has this been a waste? Where are you right now? I'm sinking, God. I'm sinking. Where are you? Peter was moving in the right direction. And for a split second, he magnified his problem and not his God. And he began to sink. And here's what, we, here's what happens. We have this misconception that if we are moving in the right direction, then no storms are going to come our way. When Jesus even warned us that in this life, you will have trouble. I've come to realize that sometimes God sets you up for the fall. He's done it in my life many times. That he sends me into a storm, intentionally sends me into a storm. And he sets me up for the fall, but it's not the fall that you're thinking of. It, it's a trust fall. That's what it is. It's a, it's a trust fall. You thought I was going to fall. I wouldn't do that. That'd be dumb. It's a trust fall. Peter didn't fail. He was human. He's moving in the right direction. He is walking towards Jesus. Jesus said, come. He gets out of the boat. He's walking in the right direction. Storm hits. He takes his eyes off of him because he's human. Just for a moment, he begins to sink. And in this moment, he's got a choice to make. What do you do in that moment? When you've been going in the right direction, the storm hits. Do you just lose faith in your God altogether? What happens? And Peter does the, the I mean, a textbook. It's perfect. Exactly what you're supposed to do. He says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. You see, that's the answer to every storm. When you feel like you're in over your head, that's the answer. Lord, save me. And the Bible says this, and Jesus immediately, there's that word again, 
Immediately he sent them out into the storm. And then it says, immediately he reached out his hand and took hold of him. Immediately. It, there was no, no waiting. It, it, you know, it, they didn't have to, you know, there was no clearance. There was nothing that had, you know, no paperwork that had to go through. It, it, it was immediately he stuck his hand out, took hold of him. I, I like the way the psalmist said it in Psalm 118 and 13. It says, I was pushed hard. You ever been pushed hard? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not going to be the only one in this room today that's, that's honest and transparent. Have you ever been pushed hard? Yes. You know what's really tough? is when God's the one pushing. And the psalmist said, I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. He will never send you into a storm that he can't bring you out of. He will never push you off of a cliff that he will not pull you out of. He will never put anything on your life that you are not capable through the power of Jesus Christ to be resurrected from. And I've seen this firsthand in my life time and time again. I am not exempt from storms. My God, they hit me all the time. But I will tell you this, when I start to sink, all I have to say is, Lord, save me. And God reaches down with his mighty hand and begins to pull me up. Amen. Mandy and I were in our early 20s. We were newlyweds. We were serving God, moving in the right direction. There was no sin, no sin in our life. We were doing things the right way. It was before I was a pastor. Mandy didn't marry a pastor. Bless her heart. I bet she wonders now what happened. But we were both working secular jobs. But man, we were some of the best volunteers around a church. We were there every time the doors were open. Moving in the right direction. Jesus says, come. Rocky and Mandy are moving that direction. We're, we're going towards him. When all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from underneath us and we began to fall. You ever been there? You ever put your hope and trust in him? And you feel like, man, we just got married. Life is good. We, we're we're going to enjoy this. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose on your life. You ever been there? Because it's not fun. Because she was too young to battle cancer. I was too young to be a caregiver. And I'm not going to lie to you. There were moments when I thought, God, where are you? I'm sinking here, God. Where are you? I promise you this, cancer never caught God off guard. As much as I may not like it, he saw it coming before I did. And he was up on his mountaintop. When he looked down and saw us in the middle of our storm. And he surrounded us with peace. When we said, Lord, save me. You see, we had a choice to make. 
We could magnify the cancer or we could magnify our God. And we chose to magnify our God. And he brought us through. I know there's some in the room right now that you are in the middle of a storm and you think that God has forgot you. Maybe God has walked right on by and passed you by and all he's waiting on is for you to say, Lord, save me. He hears your cries. I promise you he hasn't lost sight of you. He knows exactly where you are at. In this moment right now, he knows exactly where you are on his radar. He sees you. He's never lost sight of you. But you've got to trust him. You've got to trust God. Scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is trust. Without faith, without trust, it's impossible to please God. You've got to trust Him. You're in a storm. What other choice do you have? Magnify your problem or magnify your God? Trusting. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.